0: Happy Easter! Today we introduce the fourth part of the Discipline of Joy, so if you're new to our podcast, make sure to go back and listen to parts one through three first. Happy Sunday, ladies. I'm recording from the car, which I have not done in a long time. Um, Let's start off today by talking a bit about obedience. So we married women are in a state of vowed obedience to our husbands. And a lot of married women, as I'm sure you know, make a huge fuss about how this is unreasonable, ridiculous, even impossible. I want to challenge that. And I want to do it from an angle that hopefully you haven't previously considered. So priests are in a state of vowed obedience they vow obedience to their local bishop. Consecrated religious, both men and women, vow obedience to their respective superiors. And now let's narrow the field a little bit. Let's say that we're focusing entirely on authentic Catholics, people who are truly consciously trying as best they know how to live by the teachings of the church. If among authentic practicing Catholics, you add up all married women, all priests, and all consecrated religious, I'm willing to bet that they outnumber the combination of married men plus single persons. Now, what I'm getting at by asking you to consider that number is that to be an authentic Catholic in a state of vowed obedience to an earthly authority, to a human authority, is not an anomaly. It is not a rarity. And it's not even the minority. Being in a state of vowed obedience to an earthly authority clothed by God is the norm for the majority of authentic Catholics. God has willed that the majority of Catholics live the majority of their lives in a state of vowed obedience to an earthly authority. And so what I'm getting at by pointing this out is that, well, (laughs) seriously, we married women need to shape up and stop complaining about it. And start recognizing it for what it is, which is that it is one of the most common means of sanctification, which God has willed for his people. Now hold that thought and stay with me. A few months back in episode 21, we shared a concept which we learned from Sister Helena Burns' course on the theology of the body. And this was that men are called to image God's transcendence... And women are called to image God's imminence, not because women cannot image God's transcendence and not because men cannot image God's imminence, but simply because we were created with naturally differing strengths and tendencies to be able to come at the same problem, situation, relationship, whatever, from different yet complementary angles. So today we start learning about the fourth part of the discipline of joy, which is imaging God's immanence. Now, if you simply do a Google search and look up the definition of immanent, and that's immanent with an A, not an I, it reads, quote, existing or operating within, inherent, end quote. And in episode 21, we shared this quote from Carrie Gress's The Anti-Mary Exposed, Rescuing the Culture from Toxic Femininity, to explain, by illustration, woman's call to image God's imminence. Quote, Women are called to contain others, not just to hold onto them, but to improve them and let them go again, now healthier, stronger, and better prepared for the journey. The time-honored symbols of women, vessels, ovens, ships, and so on, represent containing something, transforming it, bringing people to safety. These are not unimportant things, but truly the elements that help people grow into their full potential, End quote. You have probably heard of woman's call to image God's imminence, referred to with a single word receptivity. But we have chosen our words very carefully for a number of reasons, namely that receiving in a godly manner, in a manner consistent with God's creation, with God's intention, with God's will for women is an art. And just the single word receiving does not convey the depth and the nuance of that art. So to start deep diving into the art of receiving, let's look first at Genesis. Man receives things slowly, gradually. God brings each animal to Adam to be named. There is this search for the suitable companion. That search takes time. And Adam eventually receives woman, Eve. There's this anticipation that's built up. God is helping him find the perfect complement to himself. Adam does not have that complement, that comfort, for the first period of his life. And this is what we refer to as the original solitude of Adam. Adam had to first receive this original solitude. He had to receive this emptiness. He had to understand the great void in his life that eventually woman would come to fill. But first he has to receive that emptiness. He has to be brought to know the depth of his poverty so that he understands the magnitude of the gift who is his wife. There's this beautiful, beautiful song by the Oh Hellos. The title of the song is Like the Dawn. And it tries to capture the profundity of Adam's reaction upon receiving Eve. The song goes, You were the brightest shade of sun I had ever seen. Your skin was gilded with the gold of the richest kings. And like the dawn, you woke the world inside of me. You were the brightest shade of sun when I saw you. I, I gotta be honest, I think it's one of the most beautiful songs ever written. I recommend that you check that song out. Woman's experience is markedly different from man's. Eve never experienced the original solitude that Adam experienced. Her whole world is one in which man is there for her to care for. There is no part of her existence where she does not know this charge which upon her is laid. Furthermore, Eve was created to fill Adam's need. We, we have to understand this. We've heard this verse before in previous episodes. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 7 to 9. Quote, woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. End quote. See, what this tells us about woman is, Is that woman would not have been created unless Adam had a legitimate need for her. She was created to fulfill an existing need. If that need did not exist, neither would she. This is so important to understand. Because, you know, in in those sci-fi shows, they have genderless aliens. (laughs) Sorry. We have to understand this. God did not need to create gendered humans first of all he didn't need to create humans period and I think this we already know but God also did not need to create genders he chose to create Adam with this need for another someone who was like him but not like him someone who was vastly different from him and the only reason that woman was created, was because of Adam's need. To fulfill Adam's need with which he was gifted by God is the entire reason for Eve's existence. She does not exist apart from or without that purpose. When we say that woman was put on earth to be man's helpmate, we mean that if man did not have a legitimate need for a helpmate, there would be no woman. And that legitimate need that man has for a helpmate would not exist except that God put it there. I just, I cannot emphasize this enough. Woman has no purpose or logical reason for existence, which is separate from this fact. Woman was created for man. So when Eve receives her first breath, simultaneously, she receives her entire purpose. She does not have a period of searching, of learning, of feeling a void, and then of finding. She is helpmate. That's what she is. That's integral to her existence. In episode 21, we talked a little bit about this. We talked about horizons, where man's first horizon is things and woman's first horizon is persons, specifically her husband. You know, and this is why, this is why man's temptation is to treat dog like man. But woman's temptation is to treat her husband like a dog. The very first service that woman renders unto man is to receive him. And again, this is the entire reason, the entire rationale for her very existence. So when we say, and I'm sure you've heard it said, that woman is called to be receptive, this is not like a part of your calling as a woman. This is not like one sixteenth of your vocation. Receptive is what you're called to be with the whole of your being. Receptive is what you're called to be with the entirety of your life. Think of Christ and his mission to call sinners. Christ saves, but that service that he renders unto us, salvation, is one which we must receive in order to be saved. We can choose not to receive it. The first service that we render back unto our Lord is to receive the salvation which he has offered. There is a word that we use to describe the grace which Mary received to remain untouched by original sin from the moment of her conception. We call this prevenient grace. That Christ preserved his mother from the stain of sin in anticipation of her bearing him, right? Because Christ was born, he entered time at a very specific point, but at the same time, John tells us right at the beginning of his gospel quote, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Quote. So Jesus Christ chose his mother for himself and set her on a specific path in anticipation of her receiving him in her womb. There is something similar happening in the fact that man's existence warrants woman's. Okay? God designed man so that man's existence would warrant woman's existence. So in a sense... Our husbands have already set us on a path to heaven by virtue of their existence. Man's existence provides the opportunity for woman to journey towards heaven by his side. Again, genderless aliens (laughs) in sci-fi movies. God did not have to make it so that men needed women. He did not have to do that. In fact, angels are not gendered the way that we understand gender as humans. St. Thomas Aquinas said that each angel was like their own species. And I'm not going to get into that, <laughs> but sorry. Um, God could have made Adam the way he made angels, where they don't need counterparts. They have zero need for a complementary being. This is one of the reasons that the call to religious life is so profound. That those men who are called to celibacy are not called because of an absence of a need for a woman, but precisely because that need for a woman to complement man is what they offer to God, is their sacrifice. That need for helpmate is integral to their being, and that's what they offer to the Lord. I was talking through all of this with my husband a few months back. This is an old topic that I've been meaning to hit, and I'll get to why it's taken so long in just a little bit. But I wanted to share that when I said this to my husband, that the first service that woman renders unto man is to receive him, I wanted to share my husband's response. He expressed awe. At woman's high calling at that service that woman is called to render to be ready at all times to be receptive to her spouse no matter what my husband said to me only a woman could do that he said he couldn't imagine being in my shoes he was just awed by this thought emasculation ladies is in essence Refusing to receive what man has to give. Man is called to give and give and give. And so are we. But the gift that we're called to give our husbands first and foremost is the readiness to receive him. Emasculation says, I can give it to myself. Think about it. Women who claim that they can have kids without a man. That they can just be artificially inseminated and raise kids with maybe another woman. But the sperm has to come from somewhere. I can give it to myself is a lie. Emasculation is buying into that lie. So, as I said, we have taken a long time to introduce this part of the discipline of joy. The reason for that is because, as always, each part of the discipline of joy builds on the previous parts as we have it presented. And an essential part of imaging God's imminence is a holy detachment with regards to what God wants to give us, both what he wants to give us directly himself, and what he wants to give us through our husbands to whom we have been entrusted in order for us to receive both what God wants to give us directly and what he wants to give us through our husbands we have to have a holy detachment from outcomes and On that enigmatic note, we are going to stop here for the week. We will pick up in part two with how the three previous parts of the Discipline of Joy set us up for success in this fourth part. I wish you all a blessed Easter Sunday. Thank you so much for being with us. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find all the quotes and resources referenced in today's episode on our website. We'd love to hear from you, and we're looking forward to having you with us again next week on the Will to Wife podcast.